Price, and welcome to Concord Matters, a show that seeks to be united in our confession of faith through the life, death, and resurrection and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we follow the words of Paul in Romans chapter 15. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together we may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We seek this harmony by the Holy Spirit through the clear and concise teachings confessed in the Book of Concord, because they are in accord with God's holy word. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for joining us on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. We continue our study in the small catechism on holy baptism. The questions are immense, which is why today we will address the question, what does such baptizing with water indicate? Now, take a step back, reminder to our listeners that our next program, next our next confession and study next week, we'll be covering all the questions that we commonly hear about baptism with Pastor Dennis McFadden. As I said, he grew up as a Baptist and, and went through Baptist things and became Lutheran specifically because of what Scripture says of holy baptism. So not only hold on tight today as we confess the truth, but also next week, if you have any questions, hopefully we'll be able to address them next week. But today, this portion of the catechism clearly shows us the truth of the daily baptismal life. In our hymnal, the Lutheran study, uh, Lutheran service book, excuse me, we have 12 hymns for the baptismal life. That's a new addition in our hymnody as Lutherans, specifically pointing to when we were baptized, whatever age you were, that actually affects you today. How does it? How does God work through this? And what does it mean? We're going to cover all of that today. So open up your catechism and let's start confessing. If you have any questions concerning our study of the small catechism, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Joining us in the Confession of Christ this day, we welcome Pastor Matthew Moss, Senior Pastor of St. John's Lutheran Church in Corcoran, Minnesota. Pastor Moss, welcome back to Concord Matters. It is good to be back with you. So, Pastor, tell us what's happening in Corcoran and your school and, well, anything you want to share. Well, it's Minnesota, and we're recording this in late December, and no matter when it airs, I'm pretty sure there'll still be snow on the ground because it's Minnesota. <laughs> That's, well, I tell you what, that is the truth, and I am more north than you, even though that doesn't make much of a difference, but it is is north of you, and, and that's just how we live, right? Are you are you from, when you're not from Minnesota, where are you from originally? I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, so we usually got more snow than Minnesotans get because of the lake effect, but we had this thing called a thaw, where the, the temperature would temporarily, in winter, get above freezing. And the snow would melt. For the Minnesotans listening, that that actually happened. That's a real thing. It's, you don't have to wait until April thing. to see the snow go away. Well, we should probably just mark it off this year because the latest that I've seen snow in Minnesota was May 7th when we had a track meet scheduled and it was canceled. So we'll see what happens this year. But yes, the snow is here. It's not going anywhere. The ground is frozen and that's not going to happen until late April. So hold on tight. Here we go. God still reigns, thankfully. So, Pastor, anything else you want to share about what's going on in Corcoran? 
Well, we're preparing for the the Lord's birth, and our school had its Christmas concert last week, which was you know wonderfully well attended. Hearing the children in their separate graded choirs singing and praising our Lord at His birth and incarnation. We've got a slate of Christmas services ahead that we're excited to celebrate. What what better time of year is there? And then we'll come back and. Uh, Keep trudging away with the school year towards the spring break and graduation and confirmation and all those good things. So yeah, when you when you've got a, a Lutheran school, it never slows down and it's all studying of God's word, celebrating together in chapel with with matins and proceeding with the catechism towards the confirmation for those young adults who are preparing to confess the faith that uh, we're here studying today. In fact, that that first question in the confirmation service gets to the heart of what we're studying today. Do you this day in the presence of God and of this congregation acknowledge the gifts God gave you in your baptism? This is what they're that all of our students are are studying and preparing diligently for, uh, not as a graduation, but as a continuation of their life of faith given to them in baptism and uh, preserved through the word and spirit of our God through all their days. Oh, Pastor, I love how you brought that up because that relates specifically to our question today. And I want to ask it this way. For many of you, our listeners, you've probably gone through confirmation. Of course, we could talk all day about what does that mean for you and, and what did you think it meant and what does it mean for you now? But as you look at our confirmation rite, which is in our Lutheran service book on page 272, Pastor, I want to ask this since you brought it up. The first question that we ask, the confirmand is, do you this day in the presence of God and of this congregation acknowledge the gifts that God gave you in your baptism? Now, that can be done very quickly and misunderstood very, very clearly as well. But the confirmand will say, if they believe this, yes, I do. As we look at, as we get to the end of our time in baptism, what is the confirmand saying when they say, I acknowledge the gifts that God gave me in my baptism? in their confirmation, right? What are they really telling everyone there and confessing to the Lord? What are they saying? They are acknowledging that God has forgiven all their sins, not just the sins committed prior to their baptism. They are confessing God has saved them from sin and death in toto for their entire life, that these gifts are not given and then worn out, exhausted, and left behind, like so much in our disposable economy. But these are gifts that remain with them. You mentioned our our wonderful baptismal life section of the hymnal. If your listeners have it there, look at hymn 596, a great hymn by Paul Gerhardt. The last couple stanzas deal with these gifts that our confirmands are learning to appreciate and to confess. And just just look at verse 5. Oh, Christian, firmly hold this gift and give God thanks forever. It gives the power to uplift in all that you endeavor. When nothing else revives your soul, your baptism stands and makes you whole, and then in death completes you. So use it well. You are made new in Christ, a new creation, as faithful Christians live and do within your own vocation until that day when you possess his glorious robe of righteousness bestowed on you forever. Our confirmands on their Confirmation Sunday are confessing that baptism gave them something that they are to use daily until the day they die. Well, I, <laughs> how do you say it? When I was in eighth grade, I don't think I thought through it very well. Thankfully, the Lord is gracious and patient with me. And for you, our listeners, I would encourage you to look at 
the Lutheran service book, because it is chock full of our identity as a baptized child of God, which we have covered so far in the small catechism. But also, I would really encourage you to open up that service book and look at those 12 hymns and read the words. Because you look at this by Paul Gerhardt, it's not like he just made this up recently, like, ah, that's just some weirdo from the 1990s or something. No, he lived in the sixth, 17th century, and he wrote these powerful words translated by Dr. John Beaker from Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. And it is, so use it well, you are made new in Christ, a new creation. It goes down the list. So if you ever wonder your identity in Christ, I think 596 is a perfect hymn to read and sing. Maybe you're singing on your own, but all of this brings us full back to what the Lord has given to us in Christ through holy baptism. So, Pastor, anything else you want to share about what Confirmands confessed that day? I don't know. There probably is more. Anything else you want to share? Well, the, the, the following questions rehearse the questions asked to the candidate at their baptism, renouncing the devil, his works, and his ways. And that's certainly something that we'll get into today with drowning of the old Adam with its sins and evil desires. We confess the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, according to the Apostles' Creed. That's, you know, the new man in us confessing the truth and rising daily in that faith. And then those promises that are made at confirmation are, uh, you know, just as equally the part of the baptized life, that we would confess the Holy Scriptures to be the inspired and inerrant Word of God, that we confess the doctrine of our church that we intend to live in that word of God and receive the Lord's Supper faithfully, which would mean regularly attending church, that we intend to live according to the word in faith, word, and deed, crucifying the old Adam, rising in, in faith for newness of life each day, and to continue steadfast in that, in that confession and in that baptized life, even if people are threatening to kill us for it. And why, why would we be afraid of that? We've already died with Christ in baptism. So what can they do to me? Well, I, you know, there it is. This is why we have confirmation. We confess it. Lord, as it says often, yes, with the help of God. And that's what we confess and pray the Lord will help us to live that baptismal life. So pastor, I think it's we're ready to dig into the fourth part of holy baptism, because this does bring to the forefront all that, you know, so this is the foundation and we're able to see it sung and we see it play out in the confirmation rite. And so let's dig into the small catechism. This is Luther's small catechism with explanation, the 2017 version from Concordia Publishing House, the fourth part beginning on page 24, on page 24. We confess. What does such baptizing with water indicate? It indicates that the old Adam in us should by daily contrition and repentance be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires, and that a new man should daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. Where is this written? St. Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Pastor, we've already received a question on, on, on this part prior to our, our time here. It says, in any case, that the old Adam in us. What is the old Adam in us? The old Adam would be the rebel, the unbeliever in the Christian who still exists after 
the act of baptism, we are yet still sinful within us. The old Adam is a child of the devil, totally sinful, totally corrupt, always self-centered, hates God, hates all that is good. We see this clearly taught in Romans 7, where St. Paul, who is already a Christian and an apostle, confesses that the good he wants to do, he does not do. And the and the bad things he does not want to do, that he keeps on doing, that there is this war within his flesh which will not end until the final deliverance at his death. And so the the old Adam in us, it says very clearly, is something that, well, needs to die. It, so does it need a coach? I mean, does it need to, you know, someone would come to you like, well, we're not all that bad. What would you tell, like, for example, your confirmand as they prepare to confirm their faith? Like, well, pastor, I'm not that bad. What would you tell your young person when they say, maybe I just need a coach or I need just a little help along the way? I always teach this to the confirmands as the old Adam needs to drown and die. He does not need a lifeguard or to be given a raft on the lazy river. He needs to drown and die. That we are far worse than we expect, and if we believe what Scripture says about us, we are, of ourselves, apart from Christ, apart from faith, which is the gift of the Holy Spirit, apart from that, we are way worse than we think. And the doctrine of original sin does not say, well, nobody's perfect. It says far worse, that we are totally sinful. Think about Genesis chapter 6. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That is how bad we are. That is how sin-sick we are. We're not in neutral and maybe sometimes good, maybe sometimes bad. No, we are naturally always inclined to only do evil all the time. And how does how do the confirmands respond to that? Well, they're eighth graders. <laughs> it's usually okay. Pastor's on a tangent again. Let's let's wait for him to calm down and then get him onto another tangent. We'll see how much time we can you know waste in class. No, that they I think they recognize it. And if you if you put if you put it before them in, in reference to to other people, they're very willing to admit that their parents are that bad or their siblings are that mm-hmm. bad. And then you just go, yeah, well, you're that bad too. So. You know, some of the ways we can, as pastors, walk them into that self-reflection, examination, and condemnation, you know, use those Ten Commandments that they've learned so well and, and walk them back through it. Okay, you mouthed off to your parents. Who gave you your parents? God did. Mm. So you're actually rejecting God. You are dishonoring your parents, not because they're so weird and strange, but because you hated God. Oh, yeah. Whoops. As maybe an eighth grader might might say that at that point. And as we look at this, we are reminded of we've seen the gifts of holy baptism, which you have, have, have confessed so well today. And as we look at the first, second and third, we've seen all the gifts that we receive in baptism in Christ, forgiveness of sins, rescues from death and the devil and gives eternal salvation to all who believe this that it is a water and the word. And how can it do such great things? Well, only by the word and we are washed and renewed and all these gifts that we receive. And so we, we think, okay, that's what happened when I was two weeks old. That's what happened for me on November 
1979. All these great things happened. That's why we had cake after. That's why everything's good. And I, you know, we should celebrate my baptismal birthday, all that. But pastor, in this part of the catechism, it says, you know what? This actually means something for me today. And what does Luther tell us what it means for us today? It indicates the old Adam should by daily contrition and repentance be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires. This affects us daily, not once a year on Ash Wednesday, as if that's the only day a year a Christian needs to actually examine himself and repent of sin, or Good Friday, or you know, some one day in a lifetime, or one day of the year. No, this is a daily contrition, which would be a sorrow over sin, being crushed and killed by God's law, offering him no more excuses for what we've done, and repentance being slightly different than contrition, that repentance proceeds then with faith as a turning to God with the sins that we have recognized in ourselves according to his law, knowing and feeling that in our conscience, turning to God because of his promise to hear and to be merciful towards us. So that is how this affects us on the front end daily with contrition and repentance. And that is where the old Adam learns to die, that God's good law calls us to repentance, calls us as Christians to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. And every single day, as we certainly do fail that, we look in the mirror of God's law and with deep guilt and sorrow over sin, that's what we would call contrition, we then turn to God in prayer, asking him to further kill our sin, kill our sinful nature, conquer that which is vying for lordship in my heart over and against my only Lord and Savior. Pastor, when I, when I hear this, and you know, I've, when I've taught this, it does bring up that reality. I think a lot of people are like, yeah, you're right that I am indeed a sinner and I need to repent. The next question is, how do I do that? You know, this is the daily life. I need to repent in contrition. Pastor, do you have any, I want to say advice is the right word, but some kind of ways you've seen this is done in the life of the church and the Christian? Yes, the life of the church looks very apparent with it. We begin every church service with confession and absolution. You don't even have to wait for that. You can also meet with your pastor in private confession and absolution. But within the home, that is where we would see the daily life. And so I would remind all of your listeners that each of these six chief parts of the catechism begin with, as the head of the household should teach to his family. And so if we turn to the very back of the catechism after the six chief parts, you have one of the most valuable home devotional tools ever created by any Christian of any time, I'm convinced. And that's the daily prayers. That the head of the household would teach his family to pray in the morning and in the evening, before and after every meal. And if you, if you are so bold, set it as a goal within your household. Maybe use the season of Lent as a time to practice this and make it such a discipline and look at the evening prayer, how right before bed, 
you would make the sign of the cross to remember your baptism, that you are crucified with Christ in a new creation. Kneeling or standing, repeat the, the creed and the Lord's Prayer, which includes forgive us our trespasses. And then the, the Luther's evening prayer also does that again, asking God's forgiveness for all that I have done wrong this day and then to graciously keep me this night. And then in the morning, you rise. God has kept you that night. Here you are rising to a new day and a new life in Christ where you pray that he keep you from sin, including the sins of your flesh. So I've advised my, my catechism students, whether their parents are, are ready and willing to do this or not, every last one of them has a certain liturgy or routine, we might call it, before bed. They're all standing in front of a mirror, either to wash their face or to brush their teeth or both. They are all standing there in the mirror. So consider the law of God. As you're brushing your teeth, think through that day and the ways that you have sinned against God and sinned against your neighbor. Go from there to bedroom. Pray the Lord's Prayer and the evening prayer from the Catechism that does rightly confess those very same sins that you've just recognized from that day, but are confessing them with a faith, with a repentance that turns to the God of mercy and love who claimed us in baptism, who washes us clean of all sin, and who will raise us again the next day to live before him in righteousness and purity. And so then the next thing, when you wake up the next day, wash your face, which is you know one of the first things most people do in the morning is to take a shower or at least you know wash up. When you wash, remember your baptism. You've got a new day in the Lord's grace. This is a great reminder for me is that I need to do this. You know, like you said, as the head of the household should teach, as the family, excuse me, should teach in a simple way to his household. It is, it is a reminder here of the simple prayer, how much is actually happening in, for example, the evening prayer. For you, our listeners, this is on page 30 and 31 in the small catechism with explanation, which encompasses everything that pastor just mentioned which for me, just think about how often, much like when you and I went through the petitions of the Lord's Prayer, how often we just kind of mumble our way through this without thinking that we're asking that, you know, in faith, contrition, and repentance, when we say, I pray that you would forgive me all my sins where I have done wrong, you are saying a serious, <laughs> this is the old Adam that needs to die. You are asking the Lord Lord, I need to die, and then I need to rise again. And you're admitting that when you pray this prayer. I mean, that's a very, very profound reality every time we do this. So I do encourage our listeners, as pastor just laid this out for us, not only if you're a parent, to do this with your children, as a, as a husband or wife, to do this together as a, as a family, or you as an individual, to do this together and the profound realities that are being done, what you're saying, and also what the Lord gives through his word by Christ when we pray this prayer. Pastor, anything else you want to highlight of other ways that we daily die and rise in Christ? I think that's pretty good for now. <laughs> Very good. I don't know if there is. I, I First, I want, how does it relate to our way we worship when we talk about the daily and daily contrition and repentance to be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires? How does that relate to our are the gathering as the body of Christ. It is a very humbling and therefore unifying 
matter for Christians to gather together as poor, miserable sinners seeking God's mercy and grace. We do not come to his house on Sunday for perfect people to sit around patting ourselves on the back for how awesome we are and simply praising an egomaniacal God who wants to have his ego stroked by his creation. We are coming as poor, miserable sinners who need help. They need relief from their sin. And without it, we would die. This is going to naturally lead into the fifth chief part, which you'll study with more guests in the weeks to come, the confession and absolution and, and all the, the theology wrapped up in that. So I don't want to get too far into to, to those weeds, but I would say that as we as a congregation gather, we recognize our sin and that is what brings us to God's house and shapes everything from the invocation to the benediction that we are here seeking God's mercy for our sin that we come in repentance. All, the only thing we bring to worship is our sin to be dealt with. And as God deals with it, we give him thanks and praise, and we are strengthened and encouraged by his word to go forth in our vocations each day of the next week. We will sin in those vocations and finish each day recognizing that sin, spending more time examining ourselves than complaining internally about every different person that wronged you that day. And then preparing for that next Sunday where once again we will come before our holy and righteous God who mercifully and graciously desires to forgive us all of our sins and to strengthen us again anew that week. Well, right now I want to talk more about that on the other side of our break. We are confessing the truth of holy baptism and Luther's small catechism and we'll be right back. Now on Thy Strong Word, the Pastoral Epistles, written by the Apostle Paul and inspired by the Holy Spirit, these writings offer a glimpse into the early Christian church and its leaders. Yet these are not relics, but living letters through which God continues to guide pastors and congregations today. I'm Pastor Phil Boo, your host. Join me and a different guest pastor each episode as we dive into 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. Only on Thy Strong Word, weekdays at 11 a.m. on KFUO. And welcome back. We are confessing the truth of holy baptism in Luther's small catechism with Pastor Matthew Moss of St. John's Lutheran Church in Corcoran, Minnesota. Now, Pastor, as we look at this, one, one part that also strikes me is that this is telling me I should be doing this every single day. Now, first of all, this is a good guide for me that, okay, I need to do this every day, but I'm already realizing that, well, I failed <laughs> in this realm. I have failed many times and probably failed today, which is what we need to do after we're done broadcasting here, is that this is incredibly difficult and it feels like it's adding more guilt. What would you, what would, how would you respond to somebody who is feeling that guilt, our listeners, as they hear this daily contrition, repentance, and forgiveness that we are to live as baptized children of God? Do not avoid that. 
It's not a bug in the theology. It's by design. We are poor, miserable sinners, and our life is a life of repentance. In in the catechism's teaching on confession, and, and Luther has a Sometimes it's concluded in the large catechism. Sometimes it's not for confession and absolution. He says confession is like breathing. It, our entire life is to be a life of repentance. And, you know, when I urge you to go to confession, I simply urge you to be a Christian. So if you're feeling, if you're knowing and feeling certain sins, that is God's Holy Spirit signaling you need to go make an appointment with your pastor to receive forgiveness of sins and to deal with the particular sins and guilt that are, that are grieving your conscience. If it's more of a, of a general, this sounds hard, well, I, I guess I would admonish and encourage that the second half of this indication of baptism is arising, that there is a new man. And, and just think about the, what you would have finished in part three from Titus chapter three. We have a renewal by the Holy Spirit. The word of forgiveness, the gospel, actually does give us new life and new powers. I think sometimes we in the the Lutheran Church forget that with our uh, constant refrain of simul justus et peccator, simultaneously justified and a sinner, we forget that when we are given the Holy Spirit and hear the word of forgiveness, the gospel that is the power of God to salvation for all who believe, and been given have the Holy Spirit poured out on us generously through baptism and wherever the word is taught and preached. We actually are a new man, and there is actual power to resist temptation. Where that is a struggle, we need additional help, the consolation of fellow Christians, the added encouragement of pastors, and further teaching. But this is something that we, as Lutherans, do believe, teach, and confess, that where the Holy Spirit is given and where the Word of God is preached and taught, it is active. It is living and active and powerful to defeat sin, to resist temptation. And that is a great encouragement and hope to us that we're not in it alone. We have a helper, the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God, a very real and present sword strapped around us to fight off those temptations. Plus, we have other Christians who have the Holy Spirit and our pastors who are there to encourage us. You know, what a great gift that we actually stand and arise together as a Christian community. This is something that is very important for us as Christians is that. We, we die, and sometimes we, we stop there. This is the Ash Wednesday. Like you said, well, we don't wait to repent for Ash Wednesday. But sometimes we can so focus on the repentance or focusing on other people's need to repent that we forget that we're rising. And what does that risen life look like? I'm, I'm thinking to try to rig it down to the, the basics of somebody who is living out their daily vocations. And like you said, they are able to resist these temptations with the help of the Holy Spirit. How would you encourage somebody in their daily that this is, I mean, God is, God is with you. God is for you. God has given you this gift as a baptized child of God. Do you want, do you want to add anything more to that and what maybe scripture says or however you want to move? Because that, that is a huge reality that I think often that I, and I think we will misplace as Lutherans specifically. Yes, Lutherans are always accused of being strong on justification, weak on sanctification, and often that's that's a, a chiding that is well-earned, but it's not true in our confessions, and it's not what Scripture teaches. So I would encourage your readers to look along with me, perhaps, at Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 24, and 
we might not even stop there. It's a, a great picture of what this can look like, this daily emerging of a new to live with his fellow Christians, not giving into the sins and evil desires, which would be here described as works of the flesh, but actually pursuing the things that Christ in us is and does. So looking along at Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 16, Paul writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, what we would call the old Adam. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, right? so this will be in us as you know, new creations through baptism, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And earlier in Galatians, Paul taught us how and when we have been crucified with Christ. It's in baptism we have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Right? Galatians 2. So then Paul concludes, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And then he'll go on that one of the ways this works is that we would actually restore one another, forgive one another, bear each other's burdens in such a way that we would fulfill the law of Christ. So I think the new man daily emerging and arising to live before God in righteousness and purity is very well pictured there in Galatians 5, even leading into Galatians 6. To take nothing away from Romans chapter 6, which we can get into now too, Mm -hmm. uh, Paul is very clear there in these sections at the end of his epistle what this Christian life looks like. And it can become very practical and very clearly pictured for our people. And that is why I do encourage you, our listeners, Galatians 5 is absolutely perfect because if someone were to say, well, you know, I don't actually have to live (laughs) this out, it's very clear. Walk by the Spirit. This is not an anti-Lutheran idea, right? This is in the Bible, so it's not anti-Lutheran whatsoever. But to walk by the Spirit and, and Pastor, how would you, to lead this from Galatians chapter 5 into 6, then lead us to Romans 6. Which, can you unpack that a little bit as it is also in our confession, the small catechism? Yes. In Romans 6, we hear, as we confessed in the catechism, we were therefore buried with him. This is not symbolic language. This is a real union to Christ's death and resurrection. Right? We were therefore buried with Christ through baptism into death. This is not symbolic, and we know it's not symbolic language because Christ was not drowned to death. He was crucified, and baptism looks nothing like crucifixion. So this is not symbolic or analogous. This is means of grace language, that God, through his word, has attached a certain 
action, the death of Christ, his burial, and his resurrection, he has attached that to a certain action with the physical means of water and attached his promise to it. So we were buried. This is not symbolic. Baptism doesn't look like a burial. It looks more like a bath. We were buried with Christ through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Coming out, even if you did a baptism by submersion or immersion, the coming out of the water does not look like the coming out of a tomb over in Jerusalem. Because this is not about reenactment or symbolism. This is about something truly actually happens because the Word of God says it does. And this is something important for all you, our listeners, is that what happened that day is very clearly proclaimed to us in Romans 6. What happens every day is clearly reflected in, you know, this is Romans 6, that daily contrition and repentance that we die and rise. Are there other parts in Scripture that reflect this daily walk, specifically the dying and rising, that you wanted to highlight for us? Well, we think about Ephesians 4, where we'll use the same language of old man and new man, or 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And pretty much any time we come across that phrase, in Christ, Paul is talking about baptism. Well, then that's quite a bit, <laughs> if we're going to say it that way, because we can act as if all this baptismal talk, we're just kind of just throwing it out there out of nowhere. We're kind of like, oh, that came out of, out of nowhere. This came out of here. And oh, yeah, baptism, 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 which Lutherans are often accused of just overemphasizing baptism. But, Pastor, let's, let's go back to the basics with this. Why is this so important? I mean, when we talk about baptism, all that we're hearing, why is this so important to the, to the Christian who is trying to live out their daily life by the Spirit, according to Scripture and what they live out their lives? Why is this so important? Baptism is important to the Christian because Jesus is important to the Christian, and baptism unites to Christ. Baptism is important to the Christian because our life with Christ is an eternal life that is not yet fully manifest, but is already now present. We are What we will be when Christ appears on Judgment Day has not been made manifest yet. I am not in a resurrected body. I'm in a very uh, poor, old, aging body that daily feels how much older I'm getting. So I'm not yet resurrected. I am not yet in eternal life and glory with Christ. But I already have that now by the word of promise, which was attached to me at my baptism and in which I now live daily. So yeah, baptism's important to my daily life because my life with Jesus is important to me as a Christian and my salvation is important to me as a Christian and the daily forgiveness of my sins is important to me as a Christian. And this goes back to the hymn 594, God's own child, I gladly say it. And in the first four stanzas, there's five of them, it, it begins with, for example, stanza one, God's own child, I gladly say it. I am baptized into Christ. Sin disturb my soul no longer. I am baptized into Christ. Death or Satan, hear this proclamation. I am baptized into Christ. 
this daily walk is that identity that we're able to say, I am baptized. But that that changes the game because how often do we say, I was baptized? But we're able to say in that daily dying and rising, I am baptized. Do you have any thoughts on that and what that means for us? I mean, well, you know what it means, but anything you want to expand on that great and gracious reality. Oh, yeah. And I, I love that hymn. It is our school here at St. John's, our school hymn of the year for this school year. So All right. as if you needed further any added reason for your listeners to consider the benefits of a, of a Lutheran day school, where else are you going to get solid Lutheran hymns like, like God's Own Child, I Gladly Say It, being memorized by everyone from preschool through eighth grade for the, the course of a year? Uh, you know, th- that's worth the, the, the price of tuition and all the hassles that can come with it on a congregational side and on a family side, making that sacrifice to enjoy Lutheran education. So what a, what a fantastic hymn that one is. I can't praise it enough to your listeners. But the, to get to your question, yeah, the, I am baptized. Very often we could think of this as a state of being, an identity-changing event. If I told you I was married, many people would think that I am implying that I no longer mm. am. I'm either divorced or widowed. But we say I am married. Now, if I added the date, I was married on July 17th, 2015. Okay, that's grammatically correct, and people would assume that I still am married. But if I just said it in the past tense, I was married, well, it leaves it ambiguous. Uh, At the very least, we would want to be clearer. And so we say, I am baptized. Something happened to me. Uh, In the same way, we might think of citizenship. If I said I was an American citizen, people would think that I expatriated. So I say, I am an American citizen. If I said I was a member of the Moss family, people would think that I was either disowned or I left and renounced them. I am a member of the Moss family. So when we get to things like union, as in marriage, union to Christ, or our family and being adopted into God's family, or our citizenship, not here below, but citizenship in heaven, all of these things are a state of being. They are an identity that for the Christian is now in Christ and should be talked about in those present tense verbs. I am baptized. He is baptized. This is who we are. And it does bring with it that daily life of dying and rising. That is a reminder to our listeners as well, that how we speak is important. Not not like it's immoral if you were to say, I was baptized, but this has nailed me to the ground. How many times I think about if I were to say that in other contexts, it implies that it no longer is a reality for me. Like you said, I I was bap- I was married to such and such. That implies that, well, it could be two things. You lost your wife or that there's been a divorce. And that that's a different identity than I am married to, for example, for me, Amy. And, and to say, I am a father of, you know, as opposed to I was, those are different identities, different realities that we have. And for us as Christians, we can stand with full assurance, I am baptized into Christ. I died and rose. And guess what? I still am. I'm dying and rising, dying and rising. It's this up and down identity, not up and down, but it's this strong and foundational identity that kind of feels like as we're talking about this, I feel like I'm on a roller coaster that every day I'm realizing my sin and I'm being forgiven. 
Um, I'm trying to walk by the Spirit, and then I fail, and in repentance, I'm forgiven. In many ways, Pastor, this can be met with, well, that's kind of too simplistic. That, okay, so I just, I ask for forgiveness every day, and I'm forgiven? I mean, is that, is that it? Is This is too simplistic. It has to be more complex, or there has to be something more exciting. And how would you address them? Real life is often very mundane, routine, and repeating the same valuable, necessary things day in and day out. That's very much the case in marriage and family life, and it would be no different in the Christian church. So we should not scoff at it for being simple. We should thank God that he has made it so simple that even a child can learn this routine and reality and grow in it. And so, Pastor, I want to take a step back again and look at the practicalities of this. So can you break this down for somebody who just probably has a lot of questions? What kind of questions have you seen kind of pop up as you look at really all baptism, maybe specifically what we're addressing today? Because someone can just, it does not wrap in the mind because in our culture, we tend to be very much so decision-based, individual-based. We tend to be very much so, what have I done as opposed to what the Lord has done? All of this goes into it. What have you experienced with people kind of asking questions about this and, and maybe trying to buck at you with different passages? Do you have any, you have any examples of this that, that, that will help our listeners for those who are maybe trying to teach this to somebody else? Of all the four parts of baptism, the fourth part in the catechism helps us address many of those misconceptions and false notions about what Lutherans actually believe about baptism in that we do address the issue of, is it possible to lose our faith? Can a person who was baptized, choosing my words carefully there, is it possible for a person who was baptized to forsake the faith that they were given and raised in? And the answer is yes. So this dispels that false notion that Lutherans are often accused of, of having a magical view of baptism, that if you just sprinkle the, ma- the water and say the magic words, the baby is saved no matter what, or maybe that's extended then to confirmation. If they just say the magic words and have the, the pastor lay his hands on the head, then they've got their magic talisman to get them into heaven. This part of the the catechism very clearly puts it before us that it is possible to lose faith. It is possible to shipwreck the faith, as Paul calls it. It is possible for a baptized Christian to stop believing. It happens when they stop confessing their sins, which is why I will once again give a great encouragement to all of your listeners to tune back in in the weeks to come as Pastor Finnern and his guests, I'm not one of them, but I'll be listening, go through confession and absolution. This is where the Christian remains a Christian, breathing out his sin that he might breathe in the forgiveness won for us in Christ, given to us through his word and in our baptism. So I think that is one of the the biggest areas where this section of the catechism helps us dispel so many false notions of what Lutherans really believe and are doing in baptism when we baptize infants, when we call it forgiveness, life, and salvation, that this affects daily life. It's why in Matthew 28, when Jesus institutes it, 
baptizing all nations in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. The baptizing and teaching go together. That teaching will teach us to repent of our sins daily and rise in the forgiveness of sins to live before God, to strive in the Spirit and through the Word to live according to that Word. And this, I'll say this from a personal level, is since I've been elected as district president, I have not only had the joy of going to different congregations, but also to receive the gifts from another pastor. And actually, specifically, Pastor Moss, that is your father-in-law, Pastor Bruce Tim. And one of the great joys that I have from this is that he is, is great with the law. It just nails me to the ground every single time that I hear him preach, but also just... It, it, brings brings the sweet gospel and, and and just preaches it so purely that I'm reminded of why I need to be there in worship. Uh, why I need to be there is because when I walk in, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. You know, I, I have four kids and they're all with me and, and I think my marriage is going well and I was elected district president. So there's a little bit of humility that's needed because, well, I got the votes or something along those lines. And you go there and you're like, oh my gosh, you're right. Yeah, I need, I need the reminder of my own sin. And, and it's what a joy is when a pastor brings that, but then also the sweet gospel of reminded me of my identity and almost explicitly reminding us of our baptism when I'm able to receive this gift from our Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod pastors. And that's a good reminder for you, our listeners, is you will receive that when you go to a congregation of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. I can't speak for other other congregations or other denominations because, well, I'm not a pastor there, but I do believe that when you go, you will receive that wonderful gift, a reminder of our identity as a baptized child of God in a world that gives us a whole lot worse identities as we live out our daily walk. So that's that's my encouragement for all of you our listeners to to receive the gifts. I mean, it just it's it's all gift when you gather together in the Lord's house. Now, Pastor, we have about four minutes left in our time, maybe a little bit less. What, what, how do you want to wrap this up for us today and to encourage our listeners in Christ? Baptism plants us in the death of Christ. We are buried with him in death so that the power and efficacy of Christ's death will not only forgive our sin, but also begins to crucify, mortify, and bury sin in the flesh of the baptized so that sin will not reign in our mortal bodies. Mo I, I'm going to talk to your audience as Christians. I assume that is who is listening. I know you mourn your sin. And you have besetting sins, maybe sins of addiction, things that, like Paul in Romans 7, you wish would just go away and quit ruining your life, causing friction and in your family and your friends or in your congregations. Baptism will strengthen you. Baptism has planted you in Christ's death. It forgives your sins, but baptism gives you gifts even above and beyond the forgiveness of those sins. It also grants us the Spirit and the Word of God to empower us in the mortification of our flesh, in the crucifying of our flesh's desires. It will always be imperfect in this life until 
death or Christ's return in glory, but Christ will not leave you. He who is faithful to his promises will aid you and be with you so that as you do struggle with this real battle of sin in our mortal bodies, you are not alone. Christ is working in and through his word as he has already pledged to do in your baptism. And that baptism actually did something and still does something. It has made you a partaker of the resurrection. It grants us a renewed mind. This new man in us, the renewed mind through God's word, loves God's righteousness, his holiness, and truth. And so if you're mourning and lamenting the sin in your own in your own life, the things you have done, thoughts, words, and deeds of which you are ashamed, or those that you see within your household and even to a certain extent within society uh, at large, recognize that the, even that mourning and contrition over the sin that we see is proof of the Holy Spirit's work in you. He who has given you in baptism is still working. And then don't cut yourself off from the medicine to heal what God himself is wounding through his word of law. That as that word of law calls us to repentance and mortifies our flesh, that we make sure that we are hearing the word of forgiveness as well from our pastor and from our fellow Christians, because that is the word that will give new life and renewing that life each day with those new powers and new will to resist sin. Imperfect in this life, perfected in Christ who is already ours now and will be ours forever. Pastor Matthew Moss of St. John's Lutheran Church in Corcoran, Minnesota, clearly confessing the truth of the daily dying and rising in Christ through holy baptism. Pastor Moss, thank you for your faithful teaching with us on Concord Matters. Thank you for having me on again. I'm your host, Pastor Brady Finnern. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.